It's always a blessing to be here with you, be here with this family. Um, so what we're doing today, uh, we're going to be continuing on in our series of deeper faith through Hebrews 11. Um, and so if you don't know me, my name is Dylan. Um, I don't usually do this part. So if you don't like it, just wait till next week and it'll be better. Um, I think they saved, they saved me for the end of Travis's sabbatical so that you'd be extra ready for him to come back. So uh, I came up with that joke three weeks before he went on sabbatical. Uh, so our verse this morning is, out of Hebrews 11 is going to be Hebrews 11.30, which says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And so what we're going to be doing this morning, we're going to be walking through a small portion of the book of Joshua. Um, so if you have your Bibles with you and want to go ahead and flip to Joshua chapter 6, that's where we're going to be this morning, looking at the, the fall of Jericho. And so just to bring us up to speed on where we are in the history of the Israelites, which this series of Deeper Faith has kind of unintentionally ended up leading us through. Um, last week we left off with Stacy Gammon talking to us about the Israelites walking across the Red Sea on dry land. Um, and so now fast forward to the book of Joshua where we're at now. Uh, the Israelites have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Um, and at the point in the story we're at now, Moses has just passed away. And so Joshua has kind of taking command of Israel on the earthly side of it anyway. Um, and so he's in charge. And one of the first things that he does that we read about is he sends some spies out into the promised land um, to get an idea of what the people are like that live there. Um, so when they come back, they say that God has surely given us this land, that it's ours. We, sh- we need to go take it. And uh, that's where we end up. We start in uh, Joshua 6. They've just crossed the Jordan River and are now into the promised land. We see God part waters once again as they cross into the part and, uh, promised land through the Jordan River. And so let's go straight to the text. Um, Joshua 6 verses 1 through 5 says, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So we get to the place... The Israelites are now in the promised land, finally. And most of the people that are in the promised land currently are kind of shaking in their boots because they can see that God is on the side of the Israelites as they've entered the promised land. And so God tells Joshua, I've given this land into your hands. I've given Jericho into your hands. And I love that. um, As the worship team, we've been talking once in a while about this book, Holy Roar, that we've been going through and sharing some of the Hebrew words for praise. And as I was reading that verse of, see, I have given Jericho into your hand, he doesn't say, I will give Jericho into your hand. He doesn't say, I'll eventually do it. He says it's true. He says, I've given Jericho into your hand. And it made me, I've heard some people say that that's what's called the prophetic perfect tense. Is even though it hasn't happened yet, it's as if it's already happened. And it made me think of this word, Um, that we read 
and holy roar called Toda. And Toda is kind of related to the word Yada as far as it means like raising or extending hands. But something about Toda also means thanksgiving for things not yet received and just praising God for the expectation of what he's going to do. And I love that picture that God is telling them, you can expect me to do this. This is going to happen. But God follows that up with some pretty unconventional advice. Some instructions that you wouldn't necessarily think of for attacking a city. Um, As a staff team, we've been reading, before Travis left, we read this book called Extreme Ownership that was written by two Navy SEALs. And so the tactical effort that they put into planning and the discipline that they put in. And then since then, I've been even reading some more books by guys that are really tactical and really disciplined. And I don't think this would fit into their type of plan. And right off the bat, I just want to ask, who thinks that this is a good plan, earthly-wise? <laughs> because if you raise your hand and we ever do a church softball team, I want to make sure that I'm not on your side. <laughs> Because this plan makes no earthly sense to just walk up to the city and walk around it in circles. I mean, I could see maybe the first, the first day, okay, Joshua, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to go to the city and we're going to walk around it in a circle. Okay, great. We're going to get some intel. We're going to learn about this place, find the weak spots. Great plan. The second day, okay, we're going to go walk around it in a circle again. Okay, let's get some more intel. We're going to really know what we're doing. But then by the third or fourth day, I'd start to get a little shaky on that plan as I'm waiting for the people on top of the wall to start picking us off. And the commands that God gives Joshua are almost comical. I mean, a lot of the people that were in the promised land were already kind of on their heels because they'd seen how God had led the people into the promised land. But now God tells them, go and walk around the city in circles. And I love, what we're going to read next, that Joshua does this. Joshua doesn't pause. He doesn't hesitate. He does what God says. So let's pick up in verse 6. And it says, So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded, the people, the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard guard was walking after the Ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So we caused the Ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. So if we pause there for one more second, I think it's interesting how when we think of the Israelites so often, we think about them complaining, or we think about them not having faith. We think about them wandering around in the wilderness and saying, man, we could go back to Egypt. It was way better there. Like, why'd you bring us out here? Just, just to let us die? And I think it's interesting that it's not mentioned that the Israelites pushed back against this plan anywhere. I can't promise that they didn't, but I also think it's interesting that Joshua tells them that you, sh- you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth. And I don't know, that would be my way of saying, yeah, just keep it shut. We're going to do this and be faithful to what God is asking us to do. I think I need to hear that a little more often. 
Um, so, but so if we pick up in verse 12, it says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark of the Lord walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day, they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did this for six days. But on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that, it was in it, all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. So... It's amazing. We see the people follow through and do what God said, and God does what he said he would do. We see God being faithful to his word, that his word is true. When I first started reading through the verse in Hebrews uh, 11.30, I thought to myself, okay, so I'm going to be doing a message about Joshua. But as I was reading, even though the story comes out of the book of Joshua, Joshua really had a very small part in what was going on. Hebrews 11.30 doesn't actually even mention Joshua specifically. Hebrews 11.30 says that the walls of Jericho fell down by faith. All Joshua did was have faith along with the other Israelites. And they acted as though what they believed was true. That definition just keeps coming up. That faith is confident obedience to go, no matter the consequences or the circumstances that it's not important what you believe, it's important on how you act like what you believe. And Joshua and the Israelites trusted what God said and acted as though what he said was true. Last week, Stacy asked us about some things that God may be asking us to step out in faith and do. Um, And as he was sharing about the Israelites crossing the Red Sea, he talked about how what we really want, if we're honest, is we want this big, bright, unmistakable, idiot-proof sign of God saying, this is the way that I want you to go. We want proof that he's going to lead us in this direction, that he's going to go with us. We want the sea to split up, open in front of us so that we know this is the direction we should go. But that's not always how it works because God wants us to have faith without having to see the proof. He wants us to be able to trust him. And this story of Joshua and the Israelites at the Battle of Jericho is seeing this type of faith be put into action. Because there was no physical evidence that the walls would fall down if they did this. There was no proof. God didn't have a wall out and knock it down. He said, I'm going to do the same thing. There wasn't that. He just said, go do this, and I'm going to act. And so the Israelites had to have faith and trust in God's word 
before seeing any part of his promise come true. And I know it can be extremely hard to act, to do something when you're not sure exactly what the outcome is going to be. And even if we believe that God has called us to do something specific, we start thinking about it and the red flags start going off in our mind. We start thinking, I don't, wait, what if other people think I'm stupid? Like, what if I look foolish? What are other people going to think of me? For most of us, and I think for me, a lot of the time, that's where my mind goes first. That's the first place my mind goes and I have to catch myself. And because I know absolutely what that feels like, um, that, that sideways head tilt and that confused look you get from people when you tell them you're doing something. When I was in college, I was finally shown the truth and the significance of the gospel in my life. Um, and so even though I was graduating college with an engineering degree, um, well, especially since I was graduating college with an engineering degree, um, but I felt like I was being led to pursue ministry with the navigators where I would have to fundraise my own income. I had a lot of friends and family who kind of gave me that confused look. And like, what are you doing? Like, you could go make a lot of money and not fundraise. <laughs> and then after my time on staff with the navigators was done and I told people that I was feeling led and like I wanted to pursue ministry full time outside of the navigators still, I got that same look again. And I'm not trying to build myself up because I've probably failed more than those two times that I've felt like I was obedient. Because when I first started reading through Joshua 6, what came to my mind was, where are all the places that God has asked me to do something or has told me to do something and I haven't done it or I've backed down and I've held back because I was worried that I was going to get embarrassed or because I was going to look stupid or because I was going to look foolish. Although it's, it's pretty ironic that I was attempting to not look foolish by ignoring what God was saying. And it's funny, so many times if my worst fear came true in those moments, if God hadn't actually told me to go walk over and talk to that person, or if he did and it just went badly, the worst that's going to happen is I'm going to get my pride knocked down a little bit and I'm going to feel sheepish for a few minutes. But still, it's so easy to cling to your own comfort over trusting God. And so I want to ask you this morning, do you have any places in your life where you feel that God's asking you to do something, where God is asking you to make a move, but you don't see any clear proof of the specific steps he wants you to take, where you don't see any clear proof that makes you confident that he's going to follow through? Do you think you have any of these areas? Just spaces where things might seem unclear, or even if it's clear, it's just, why are you asking me to do this, God? Because I'm, I'm with you in the uncertainty part. There are places in my life right now, there are a number of places in my life right now where I'm not sure where God wants me to go. I'm not sure where, what God wants me to do. And it's hard. It's hard to make any step without having that big sign of the water splitting in front of you showing you the direction to go. But that's the place where we need to trust God, that he has a plan, that his plan is better than my own plan. And so when God opens doors, even though sometimes those doors may not make sense to me, I need to walk through those. And I'm sure there's more than one person in this room this morning that may be struggling with something that God's asking them to do, either because they're not exactly clear on what it is they're supposed to do, or because even though it's clear, 
it seems daunting and it seems impossible to you. But these are the areas where we need deeper faith. These are the areas where we need faith that's strong enough to push through the potential embarrassment. Faith that trusts God more than it cares what other people think. And faith that reminds us that God's in complete control and that we don't have to do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. But God is with us and he fights for us. The people of Jericho were up against insurmountable odds. They were fighting this city that had never been beaten before. They were fighting this city that was basically impenetrable. And God, took, God did all the heavy lifting. He did the work for them. And I love in chapter 5 of Joshua, right before the section we started reading, uh, Joshua sees a man and he has his sword drawn and Joshua asks the man, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And the man responds, he says, no, but I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. I love how he turns that question around on Joshua, basically. He says, no, I'm not on your side or theirs. The question is, are you on God's side? And I think so often we try to side with ourselves and we just hope that God's on our side instead of asking, what is it that God really wants? What is it that he's asking him to do? What does his side look like? And that's a tough spot to be, to sacrifice what we want, our own comfort zones, our own things that make us confident in order to step out in faith and trust God and to do the plan that he has set in place. One part of the passage in Joshua 6 that I already kind of pointed out that I really love is in verse 2 where God says to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. Joshua and the Israelites had to, be, had to do basically nothing to defeat Jericho. If you grew up in Sunday school, then you heard the song, you know, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. But ultimately, it was God who fought the battle. God that knocked down the walls because of their faith, because they followed through and trusted what God said. They trusted him and they watched him work. And something that I love about going through so many of these Old Testament stories that Hebrews 11 has led us through is that all of these stories point to Jesus. And I love how every single one of them reflects Jesus, reflects Jesus coming in the future. And so communion was kind of the thing that I was even a little bit more nervous about than the actual message because it's not something I've done in front of a large group of people before. And so as I was thinking, I was like, how do I connect the Battle of Jericho to communion? And I came across this note in one of the Bibles that I was reading and it kind of just hit me in the face. It just simply said, just as God triumphed over Jericho on behalf of his people as they looked on, so Jesus triumphs over Satan on our behalf as we look on. On our behalf, he hung on the cross, his body broken, his blood poured out for us to pay the price that we weren't strong enough to pay, to pay the price that he didn't deserve, but that we deserved. But he did it on our behalf. And so today we remember the Lord's Supper. As we remember that, we remember that we have a God who fights for us. We have a Savior who came, paid our debt, and defeated death as we looked on. And he's already won the battle. Even though we're not at the end yet, it's as if it already happened. And so our responsibility now is to have faith that we can trust what he says, that we can trust what he has said, what he's done, and to follow through even when we can't see his plan in action yet. Because we know that he's already given us the victory. We know that he's been faithful in the past. And we know that he will continue to be faithful.
Would you pray with me? Father God, today we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, the King who left his throne to come and make himself nothing on our behalf, our Savior who fought for us and won. So Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that washes us white as snow, that makes us whole. And Father God, we look forward to the day where he returns, takes us home to be with you. Father, would you help us to be faithful, trusting in what you say until that day. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.